Hello. Hi, Sam. Hi, how's it going? Oh, it's it's good. I'm ready for your uh, <laughs> your fire your fire questions coming away. Uh, you'll be all right. I'm just waiting for uh, Tomas to show up. He said he was uh, at um, like maybe yeah. Palm Beach or something. Oh, yeah, he's back. It's just us he, so far, right? Yeah, just two of us. I mean, that was He has the ability to go in and uh, set things up. He does that. He adds all kinds of stuff, bells and whistles. Let me just tell him the room is open. Room is open with with Tim. Tim and I have a system to get down. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, no, it's good. Uh, some other, uh, you know, zero day got announced today. Spring shell or something. Did you see that? Uh, it's called. Spring shell, vulnerability, you know, they remote code execution crap. Should have spring shell. Nobody's going to ask you about that, don't worry. <laughs> they do, they do. I make a good Yeah, there's all kinds of stuff you can do with this room now. It's yeah. Usually, you know, people start trickling in because there's a another uh, room that goes on before this, where a lot of people go to. But ask the CISO anything? Yeah, that or there's a the good, bad, and ugly, or some similar, you know, concept with Tom Ryan. He does that. Uh, he runs that. Uh, it's more about um, you know vulnerabilities and security, and not the not the way we approach things. But uh, but it's all good, you know. Have you been local, or you've been traveling yourself? Pretty local um, these days. I mean, I think I'll probably head out to the UK in like a week and a half or two. Oh yeah, oh, you got uh, brothers in the room and then left. Yeah, uh, people come and go and then they'll. Oh come, come in. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's they can hear everything I'm jumping on. Yes, right? yeah. It's yeah, been a couple yeah. So weeks since. Wanna... Yeah, they don't. They can <laughs> hear. So once it starts, then they um, they can. Um, then what you do is you just simply. Uh, yeah, they're they're muted and people who are moderating are able to talk, but everybody hears. It's not like um, presenter mode where only the presenters are can hear each other. It's a little uh, different. They keep adding more and more features, uh, but I don't really. Uh, well, do well, I was ta- I've been talking to their one of their key investors on our behalf, Single Fire. <laughs> so I was telling them, mm-hmm. I was like, "Hey, I'm jumping on here." Uh, so maybe they'll oh. they'll jump on as well. Oh, that's good. Oh, that's good. Actually, through, it's just us two, right? Right now, I'll be yeah, talking. Right if now. someone jumps on, I'll be a little quieter. But, you will um, see it here, yeah. As soon as somebody jumps on, and um, we're not even recording it right now, so you're good. Yeah, one of the folks actually in the past couple of days I've been getting to talk to much more is um, 
Jack uh, Hufford. He was like one of the co-founders of Tenable. Oh, really? Um, yeah, yeah, he's... Oh, here's Russell. Uh, Russell. Out. Hey, Russell. Hey, we'll catch up, Mario. Hi. So, Russell, Tim was the first one on into the room tonight. Uh. <laughs> someone's someone's got to start it strong. Very cool. Yeah. Great to, way to lead there. Uh, yeah, I love it. Yeah. <laughs> Hussein, how was your week? Was, uh, good, good. So far, so good. Quiet. Good. Uh, yeah, just getting things done. Yeah. March is a t- kind of strange month. You got to get a bunch of stuff delivered, like yeah. goals and stuff. So, uh, like goals for the rest of the year, like deliver yeah. to your team. Yeah, 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 yeah. And then they have to kind of, um, you know, put it, push back if they have to. And then I have to compile it all and send it up, right? Yeah. And people can, yeah, it's just how things are. I'm sure you, and then, you know, trying to get people on um, uh, sand training, actually. <laughs> Oh, what classes are they looking at? Any in particular? Uh, well, yeah. What we do is we get uh, hey guys, hey, and we get... hey guys. Sorry, sorry, sorry to interrupt. Um, let's just let's can we get some of the logistics quickly out of the sure, way? Sure, sure. Sorry, I was saying. Uh, hey no, Tim, no so you, it looks like you were the first one to uh, join us. So can you just click on my face and do make moderator? Yep, of course. All right. And while you're doing that, um, I'm just going to, uh, thanks. There we go. All right. All right. So now all you have to do is just kick back and, uh, and just wait for us to hammer you with questions. (laughs) No, I I appreciate the hot seat. Yeah. (laughs) That's going to be fun. It's going to be a fun time. Um, all right. Hussein, I will, I will stop interrupting you. Feel free to continue your conversation. I'll handle the other pieces. Oh, no, thank you. Yeah, so uh, we just buy, you know, for every mem- team member, we buy a voucher. And they get to pick the the course they need to do within their own, you know, sp- space, right? And then they're required to take the exam to be certified. That's cool. I've used the voucher thing before back uh, in the day, and I agree that yeah. the yeah. value, I think, is there, and it makes a lot of sense yep. uh, if you know well, folks are going to take it. Exactly. And then it just gives them a purpose too, right? It's just not taking the course. They're really learning it. Hi, Katie. Hi, Lisa. Hey, good evening. Hello. Hello, everyone. Uh, Let's wait for Mr. Maldonado to take over and start running the show. Sure. Sorry, I'm just trying to... I'm just trying to add in, um, I want to ping, did they, did they, uh, they made some updates on the app. Uh, where's the pin? Uh, here yeah. pin. All right. I think I'm ready to go. Hey, Lisa Beth. Hey, Katie. Thanks for uh, popping in. Katie, just microphone check for you. Testing, testing. <laughs> one, two, <laughs> one, two. All right. Um, look, it's, uh, it's, it's just about time to sort of get started. Um, We've got we've got we've got Tim in the hot seat today. Um, so Tim, thanks for uh, thanks for taking the time out of your busy schedule. I know it's hard, uh, you know, running a running a company and and making time for uh, quote unquote interviews and and spending time with uh, with us folks, uh, us us non CEO folks. You know, we know how, we know that's very <laughs> difficult. So uh, thanks for that. 
Um, oh, I'm going to enjoy this. Oh, trust me, we're going to enjoy it as well. Uh, did we turn on? Yeah, yep, we turned everything on. So everything's on, just being recorded. Um, so look, it's it's about 8 p.m. Eastern time. We're going to go to about 9.30 p.m. Eastern time. We'll ask you questions for about 30 to 45 minutes or so, and then we'll open up for the audience to uh, uh, raise their hand and ask questions. Um, uh, there must be something going on because this, this, the audience is uh, seems a little thin this evening, but the good thing is this is being recorded so they can always play it back. So not a problem there. So Tim, we're going to go around the room. Actually, before I go to the introductions, just uh, this quick some quick ground rules. Or guardrails, if you will, for for the conversation. Let's have fun. Let's have a good time. This this is Wednesday. Uh, I just flew in from uh, from Palm Beach, Florida, so I'm just getting in. Uh, not not like I was on vacation. I was actually working. Uh, but it is the middle of the week, so you know we're halfway there, right, Lisa Beth? We're we're halfway towards that Friday, uh, or towards that weekend. Although there was a zero day exploit released uh, or communicated a few like within an hour ago or something like that. So. I'm I'm hopeful that we will get through to through to the weekend without any uh any particular concerns, but we'll see. We'll see how that pans out. Uh right, so let's have fun. Uh the other thing is our comments and opinions for the most part, uh for a few of us on stage that don't have ties to like uh or, or that don't have I'll call it things binding us, uh they're great. But for others, you know, our comments and opinions are on our our own and not representative of our prior or current employer. Uh, so we ask that you please respect that. Uh, if you do pop up on stage, you know, stick to questions about uh, about the topic, about us, and maybe not about uh, where we work at and things like that. Um, the last thing I'll say is if you are a vendor in the room, which sometimes we get, and for the most part, there's uh, there's folks that already know the rules there. You know, you can pop up on stage, you can ask a question. Just you know, we refrain from selling us on your on your latest product or your solution. Let's not use this time for that. Let's let's use this time to really learn. Uh, use this as a learning session, right? Uh, you know, call it free mentoring or as a. Uh, I'm gonna get this wrong, but I know Russell always says getting education cheap. I think I got it wrong, but Russell, I know I know you say it much better than me. Um, but use this as a. Use this as that time, right? As that opportunity to really get to to learn from uh, from somebody who's potentially doing something that you might want to be doing, right? Starting being a, a CEO for a startup and and to, and going through that process. So, without further ado, as I said, Tim, I'm going to uh, do random introductions. We'll leave you for last. Uh, so I'm Tomas Maldonado. I'm the CISO at the National Football League. Uh, Hussein, over to you. Good evening. Uh... I'm the CISO here at RWJ Barnabas Health. Uh, over to you, Russell. Thanks, Hussein. Hey, Russell Eubanks here, uh, former CISO and CIO for the Atlanta Federal Reserve. Last two years, I've uh, been running my own company, Security Ever After. Over to you, Katie. Hi, good evening, everybody. I'm Katie Hanahan. I'm a, a VP of Cybersecurity Strategy and a VCSO for a boutique SI out of Chicago. Over to Lisa Beth. Hello, hello everyone. My name is Lisa Beth Lentini Walker. I am a CEO of the firm Lumen Worldwide Endeavors, which is a compliance ethics and corporate governance consulting firm. I also am a law school professor, as scary as that might be, in both the United States and in Europe, and um, an author. So I'm excited to be here tonight and talking about our fireside chat with Timur. So uh, I'm going to let you go to the next step, Tomas. All right, sounds good. Thanks, Lisa Beth, and thanks, Moderators, for for joining us. And 
you know, I'd be remiss if I didn't say this. I forget that I get to talk to two CEOs every week, which is Lisa Beth and Russell, and uh, who run their own company. So I don't know why why I I, I forgot that, uh, but I do have that. I I'm lucky, I'll say, to be able to speak to them on a weekly basis. So, uh, Tim. The spotlight is on you, my friend. Why don't you take a moment, introduce yourself uh, to the audience, and then we'll get into the Q&A. Uh, by the way, I muted you. Hang on, let me unmute you. Or you can unmute yourself. Just hit the, the microphone on the bottom right of your screen. Yep, in the classic uh, double mute on my own mic. So, no, I'm looking forward to uh, this evening, and I think great group here, and looking forward to the kind of discussion to come. But by way of kind of quick background. So uh, Tim Ozechkin, you know, one of the uh, three co-founders of Silera, and we'll probably get into a little bit of this and some of the background and story, but for the past kind of four and a half years, I've been uh, running the company and we're predominantly focused on kind of solving this challenge around medical and IoT device security uh, for hospitals and looking at this both from, you know, the US predominantly, but also on a global scale. Um, you know, currently in recent light and everything going on, I think it, only highlights kind of the cybersecurity risk of a lot of the non-traditional IT assets that are increasingly being connected. And with the digitalization, I think that's only going to increase in terms of year-over-year -year growth of these types of IoT-esque devices on the network. So looking forward to getting into maybe a little bit more of the story and how someone in my background that more came from mechanical engineering and public health kind of got the found and, and start a company like this. So looking forward to uh, the next part of the, the chat. No, absolutely. Look, and, and we're going to definitely get some time to, to get into that because I, I know there's a lot of folks that, that are really curious about that, myself included. But I wanted to start a little bit early on in your sort of life, life if you will. And, and I usually like asking this question around origin and, and what's your origin story. So, you know, when you think about where, you've, where you were and, and where you've sort of uh, um, um, where you've been and where you're going, you know, can you help us by giving us some more insight into you and your specific origin story, Timur? Yeah, I think, you know, I'll, I'll go like if I suspected I was going to be doing this maybe even 10, 15 years ago and kind of growing up both in, in school and going even to undergrad and graduate, I don't think I would have even, maybe even five and a half years ago before we started uh, this company, you know, kind of anticipated I would be, I would be doing this. So I think, you know, my origin story, I'll kind of start it maybe because it truly probably started from college and kind of thinking what I wanted to do and then how this ended up coming, which is, again, a very kind of non-traditional cybersecurity founder startup story. Uh, most either have some very technical kind of expertise, even on even if they're on the business side of the house, uh, and certainly a lot of uh, cybersecurity founders from uh, either Israel or a lot of other companies being founded out there. So it's kind of interesting path. So, you know, for myself, actually in my college days, uh, when I was up at, at Cornell, kind of actually, I think I wanted more or less to be a, a doctor or a physician, which is maybe still stayed in the realm of uh, the healthcare world. And, you know, went through that and kind of was more on the journey of this biomedical mechanical engineering kind of understanding of using that processing and kind of engineering mindset to want to you know, be on the phys physician side of the house. And then as that kind of grew towards the end of graduation and I stuck on for another master's more in mechanical engineering and thought, what else could I be doing? That kind of drove me to want to dive into something probably, again, not 
too many people do from the engineering world to go over into the public health world. And I got my master's in public health down here in New York City and in Columbia and, and kind of threw that more on the health policy management side. I think that actually just by fate or luck, if you want to call it, got involved with a, a group that was one of the previous CIOs of the CDC. And uh, he was kind of tasked with, and if I could, from an origin piece, that was around kind of 2015, 2016, kind of looking at basically the cybersecurity lens through a public health lens, and particularly wanted to see when it came to all of this digitalization, EHR adoption, and now all these vendors producing more connected medical devices in focus, how was the risk if there would be a security incident with those? How can we address that from a public health and policy side? And so that was my four-way kind of pure coincidence back in 2015 into 2016 to get involved with this kind of very small and, and kind of dedicated team to look at this from a, both what was kind of funded through and this is kind of public you know, available information is from the DHS side on kind of their science technology group. And so I was kind of brought on with a very small group of different lawyers, actually clinicians and security specialists that kind of put together a larger kind of policy and kind of update on what practices would be best. And kind of through that, you know, called an 18 month journey, um, we kind of learned a lot, I would say myself around the challenges around kind of cybersecurity within healthcare environments and particularly for if certain types of incidents or responses would occur, how best can we look at that not just from a security incident, but from a patient safety side. And I think a lot of that kind of lessons learned from 2015, 2016, and into the beginning of 2017, kind of combined with, I had my first kind of uh, forelay into the kind of uh, startup lens, I would say, by actually forming a medical device company. I'll call that more of a early stage kind of mom and pop type run company, where it was myself and the same founding crew of Silera eventually, with a different group of engineers kind of looking at building out a wireless uh, medical device. And this was actually a wireless blood pressure device you could put on all of the extremities. So imagine both ankles, both arms, and then synchronized measurements uh, between it, which has a lot of interesting applications for you know vasculature and different type of early diagnosis, especially if you have major differences between your arms or certainly between your lower extremities, ankles to your arms as well. So that kind of correlation of this consulting work combo with getting involved, didn't take any VC money on that kind of self-funded and we're working on some early kind of clinical trials at one one hospital that actually eventually became our one of our first clients in the end of Silera side, kind of opened the eyes up and found two other individuals, again, pure kind of interesting fate and coincidence that I had also known from my college days. They had different career paths and we really linked back up in kind of late 2016 into beginning of 2017 and then really thought this market around this challenge of medical IoT and infrastructure security for hospitals was only going to be growing. And so with our kind of insight and foresight from their more special, you know, special out and kind of network and cybersecurity, you know, we said, look, let's, let's take a, a leap of faith here. We'll quit everything else we're doing and we'll jump in at the beginning of 2017 on this initiative and probably took us about three to five months to go from and I know I'm jumping in now a little bit origin story prior to Silera, but I think it kind of will tie back together. Uh, kind of a three to five month journey in the beginning of 2017 to go from truly a, you know, I'll call it back of the napkin idea that the three of us with not a ton of experience, you know, you know, three, four or five years out um, from college and 
looking at kind of solving a very kind of challenging space to begin with and a lot of bigger companies looking at solving it prior to that said i think we have an approach here that can really be justified and, and fit not just a niche need but expanded need here uh, within hospital organizations and went from that to kind of our first financing of it and kind of the midway point of 17 and then from there you know i can tie a little bit more of that story together but that was really my origin into all of this and i think it certainly comes from maybe a non-traditional route on the cybersecurity founder side no, that's awesome man you, you, look you had a you had a you had a big idea right and and you've sort of been able to take that big idea and really refine it and, and add value so that that's uh that's that's great so hussein i'll pass it over to you uh, congratulations timur so you had the foresight to come up with an idea and the courage to launch a company as well and yeah, those are the two i guess ingredients for a leader to be but tell us a little bit about yourself about your background where did you grow up where did you go to high school what do you do to um, entertain yourself or find that you know um, i would say meditation time well i think certainly in the past almost five years it's been a a harder uh, a harder challenge on some of that i think you know to hit you know a good question there kind of the growing up and kind of what maybe influence what i'm doing now is you know i grew up in Anyone knows Bethlehem, Pennsylvania, I'll shout out there uh, for it, but not too far away from where I am here in the New York City uh, in kind of Lehigh Valley area of Pennsylvania. And, you know, actually, funny enough, the high school we went to on the public side was Freedom High School, it was kind of called. And again, I, I think all my origin, and many folks have this on like what they wanted, the, what they foresaw themselves back in high school was somewhat in healthcare. I just think the, the turn of you know, I'm going to be on more of the cybersecurity side, IT side, and technology side was something I probably 100% enough forecast. And um, I think I always had a, I always had a drive probably more for forming and solving, not just solving kind of challenging things, but leading a group to solve it. Uh, and maybe you can say getting people that are much smarter than myself to help in the endeavor of solving it, which I think for anyone that is kind of looking to found the company and want to bring a good team it's you know you don't have to be the the smartest person in the room it's i think it's more important to be the person to help enable uh, the smart folks to make sure they're not you know butting heads or uh, up against different kind of motivations and i think always from a young age i kind of enjoyed doing that if it was in sports or if it was on the more academic side and so i think i probably used a lot of that leverage of how i how i kind of grew up both as a I'll say a little bit inspired probably by the the only child uh, syndrome too of if I'm not gonna if I'm gonna be by myself most of the time let's get a group together more and both you know enjoy that enjoy that but also how can we accomplish something so that was a little bit about you know kind of where I grew up and a little bit about probably what led me to to here a little bit on the origin side unless you want me to go more specific there Hussein uh, if you want to I mean it's up to you. Uh, and I guess, you know, to hit that other part, the hobbies piece, I got to say the past couple of years, it's the the hobby certainly becomes the the career on this. Um, and, you know, when you go from three people founding it and now we're over kind of 30 people and have taken in about kind of 20 million in, in financing and all the considerations and constraints of dealing with, uh, you know, investors and 
growing the company, international growth, and probably more recently, especially in the past six to nine months uh, on that side and kind of almost doubling the team in a kind of six to nine month spurt there. I think some of the hobbies can sometimes, unfortunately, even in this light that we're kind of coming out, hopefully here of, of COVID has taken a little bit of a hit, but I think the best thing, if you're living in a place like obviously New York, there's plenty of things to do. Um, even if you just walk around outside, you'll you'll see plenty of things and kind of take your mind off a lot of the uh, a lot of the daily kind of tasks and management and, and issues. And uh, I sometimes like to make the joke that people think you know uh, founders on the startup side might, uh, depending on how they feel, sleep maybe sleep like a baby. Uh, I take the the fact of the baby sleep is more of the uh, sometimes you're constantly up and you're you're worrying about things and you can keep a lot of people up. And I think it's important to make sure you always find something that you enjoy on the side. And I think for me, even just a simple, you know, run around Central Park or walk or taking taking that time out to just appreciate the bigger things is like an easy, easy stress relief. Awesome. Thank you. Over to you, Russell. Thanks, for staying. Hey, to work great to have you here this evening. I always love learning from others. And as Tomas was saying earlier, uh, when we can get wisdom as cheaply as we can, I, I believe that we all get to win. So my, my question for you, so I, full disclosure, I worked uh, many years, like a bunch of years uh, in uh, healthcare IT security, very familiar with that space. Uh, and, and now in my consulting company, I, I work a lot with financial companies and healthcare companies. And I have a feeling, and I want to bounce it off of you, I have a feeling that while financial services appears to say getting stronger, getting better, healthcare, uh, I, I worry a little bit. I, I'm glad you're doing what you're doing. I applaud, you know, a company, 30 people, 20 million in funding. Uh, yeah, I could be a bigger fan, but I'm worried that healthcare is either getting the same or maybe even getting worse. What do you think uh, about that? What's your reaction to the status of healthcare IT security at large? I'm not poking at your company by any means, but just in the industry. What do you think? Getting better, getting worse, the same? How should I think about that? I got a, I got an expert here. That I got to be careful about always with. Uh, he's saying that we'll read into anything I say on that side, uh, since he's been doing it for so much longer time on the healthcare side. But I think if I just, I'll use the global side because it's been fun and interesting to see in the past twelve months from the U.S. clients to maybe in the U.K. or into you know, Asia, how they're viewing, you know, cybersecurity risk and kind of, I'd say, fundamental principles of putting a security program together. I certainly think, you know, the U.S. in terms of the private hospitals certainly have a, an advantage on probably resources and, and capability um, comparative to some of the more uh, nationalized kind of healthcare systems. And, and not saying that against maybe the U.K. or in, in Europe, just because you can have very good, especially for a larger healthcare organization, have a solid team and resources behind it. So even whatever tools you're buying or purchasing to augment, you know, the capabilities of the people and the, the process behind it, you're going to have a little bit more attention there. But what I think I see, you know, and especially in the past couple of years, two years in, in this kind of COVID era and, and coming out is I think the ability of being very adaptive to realize the risk I think has changed. And I'll kind of counterbalance. I kind of want you saying, if you want to jump in after I kind of, uh, share it even in any perspective there too, is I think the international larger nationalized healthcare systems are putting actually their resources and attention to the local actual hospital, acute care hospitals and their facilities 
or and this probably stemmed initially like everyone thinks about from like WannaCry in 2017 and what that meant for someone like the NHS um, and kind of looking at very how can we be more targeted instead of reactionary that if there's an incident we're almost shutting down systems and clinical systems preemptive of thinking about are we actually is that a risk or target versus I just want to you know kind of stop the bleeding kind of mentality and I think I do see a, a good switch on the people and personnel especially in the past two years that are kind of being hired out on the global side of, of many hospitals and that's probably more or less driven from the fact that as they've digitalized more and you see this in like the hymns if you're familiar with the hymns which is this healthcare IT kind of organization broadly speaking and they rank certain countries hospitals as like hymns stage one or two or three or four or five six seven the max those six and seven are like the most digitalized and connected as that digitalization has become more adopted i think the leadership has actually viewed the security piece as something fundamental actually of running the hospital versus 10 15 years ago maybe that cybersecurity piece was not a afterthought but kind of viewed differently than certainly it is now and i'm saying that with all my words cautious knowing there's a there's a good expert here uh, from you saying so i don't know Zane, am i on or off of that uh, uh you hit the mark my friend and put it in very eloquently as well thank you hey that that's fantastic and you know i, I appreciate the answer I, I respect it and and that means a lot i i will adjust my thinking and adjust my uh, my perception based on both of your uh insights there and so i very very much appreciate that i'm glad to know it as a person who needs healthcare. my wife works in healthcare, so i'm a fan of but now i have a new appreciation for the, the growth uh, in in that area so I, I really appreciate that all right oh please go ahead yeah i mean i was going to say one thing to add to it always is i think that still the challenges it's probably on the, the healthcare front is even in this current kind of job market is finding the right talent still can be a struggle. And, you know, you talk to many like uh, leadership folks at, at hospitals and finding the right type of, you know, IT and security talent always might be a challenge, but especially with, you know, maybe higher salaries and how things are done on the private side outside of healthcare. I think that's still a big challenge in the U.S. and internationally. Um, and you know, even the lifestyle and the, it's not like you get an easy lifestyle in the cybersecurity realm. So you can't hit them on the, this is a nine to five job versus you can get something a little bit faster paced and, you know, they might pay more. And I think still that's going to be something I, I don't necessarily have the answer at how to resolve that, um, broadly speaking. What, again, I cannot be more happy and grateful uh, for that. Katie, uh, over to you. <laughs> Um, hey, great to meet you. Um, I love uh, a startup story, um, and I'm very intrigued with, with the healthcare industry. I always love to ask a question, though. I wait, and I like when I'm one of the later moderators to ask questions, so I like to listen to what you're saying. Uh, I don't know why I stuck on this, but Bethlehem, Pennsylvania, and then you mentioned, but then kind of glossed over it, Freedom High School. I love that you have, like, these very interesting, um, you know, names of your origin story that we can all identify with just the actual, you know, name of a city slash Freedom High School. So I just thought that was kind of interesting, but I, I pulled it up because I was like, where is Bethlehem, Pennsylvania? And then it made me think to myself, how does somebody from Bethlehem, Pennsylvania decide to, to, to found this company? And um, I think what we missed in the, the first question is maybe a little bit of the connection between 
where you came from this, you know, it looks very all American town based on their website, very nice website. Um, but just, you know, wondering you know, in Freedom High School, and I want to know, is that a private school or is that the name of the public school in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania? Um, I'm giving some good shout outs to Bethlehem. You know, I mean, <laughs> I, the funniest part is the two public schools in Bethlehem were one was Freedom, oh, the okay. other one was Liberty. Liberty <laughs> High School and Freedom. These are the high schools. And the the Fre Freedom High School's like mascot was basically the Patriot. So they would dress up and Liberty which I'm, I, anyone that went there, I don't know, they're marching in and stuff. They dressed up uh, basically as kind of uh, in English kind of uh, um, <laughs> uh, the red, like the traditional kind of 1700s look on how they did. So it was a Patriots um, versus kind of Liberty High School. And I always just felt that was like a, I don't know how that tradition started. I think it was probably in the 1800s when the kind of city and the public schools got formed late and then into the early 1900s that they decided to go with those that theme, but um, no, it was, I mean, Bethlehem itself has a kind of rich history. It is known as the, uh, I guess, the Christmas city in that sense. So it was kind of a, yeah. not to get into the historical side, but the kind of the Moravians were the first ones uh, there, I guess, in the, or at least from from Europe were the first ones on, on coming out West. And it has, it's, a, it's an interesting rich city there. But if you think about it, Bethlehem is an hour and a half north of Philadelphia an mm -hmm. hour and a half west of New York. So you always, even growing up, you had a, a, a bunch of folks that had traveled and worked in New York. So I don't know how they did it, an hour and a half that type of way back and forth into the into the city seems like a long commute, especially with traffic or into Philadelphia. So you had a lot of interesting, you know, backgrounds of people and different companies and things they did. And that was like the community I grew up with. So it was a wide array of types of jobs, people, origin stories, people coming here from, you know, and, and my background and name, you know, Tim Rozeshkin was more, you know, the history on the one side of the family from Turkey and the other from kind of Hungary. And it was a very interesting combination. And I think that all led to probably wanting to do that kind of traditional, more American story of wanting to do something on my own. Um, mm. Even though there was a piece where I thought I was going to go down this healthcare and physician route. And I think just fate kind of aligns uh, probably this post-graduate school. Again, it was like, if I trace the origin of starting Silera, it was probably literally one meeting up at Columbia Medical School up on their medical campus. And folks with New York are familiar up on like 171st, uh, up on the whole, up west side on Manhattan. And it was kind of one introduction by one professor there to another individual that was working on this project around medical device kind of cybersecurity. And I was like, well, let me take the meeting and let me, I'm curious what their insights there because I have an engineering background and there's not many engineers in the public health school. So it was kind of a unique, unique thing. And literally from there, and that was in 2015, it kind of was a 12 to 18 month journey before I was like, well, maybe we, we do this kind of, you know, network cybersecurity product, bring the right two other founders that we had, I had linked up with that I already had known as friends. Um, and we took the kind of the leap and, it's always fun to see that kind of the leap turn into a fruition of kind of growth and tackling something that's important, right? Not just creating something for the, the sake of creating. Well, I, yeah, I appreciate that. There was a lot there that you just um, unpacked because you talked about, you know, where you came from and having a number of people who are in this 
very kind of, and I, I had pulled it up on Google Earth because I'm sorry, I didn't know where Bethlehem, Pennsylvania was until you said where it was. Um, but I found that interesting as well that I'm like, oh, this isn't a really interesting spot. I, and I thought to myself, I wonder if people are commuting to the city, like which city. Um, and so you had a number of people who were uh, mentors to you or had interesting origin stories, like you just said. Um, and then you also just kind of connected that to, um, you know, your meeting at, at Columbia, but I'm still kind of missing those, those parts in between who were the mentors that really inspired you to have this entrepreneurial spirit outside of, you know, this awesome town, it sounds like you grew up in. Um, and then, you know, two, um, once you found those, um, those people, um, you know, what was it about um, your your acumen as it, you know, around, you know, engineering and then also uh, as it related to, you know, the healthcare community? I just kind of want to string those things together because um, I really haven't gotten there yet with your story and I find it fascinating. Yeah, I think that it is, a, it happened quite quick. You know, sometimes people have a vision that they want to do this for, you know, they want to found the company. They, even if they don't know what they want to do, that's kind of, their goal, I think mine was more from, you know, again, you know, growing up, going to high school, thinking I'm gonna go maybe a different career path. That's still in healthcare, so it always tied back together. And then in college, kind of thinking, oh, engineering seems interesting. First started in biomedical engineering and then eventually mechanical engineering. And then also then comboing that with kind of public health. I think the cross-discipline piece was always what I enjoyed and even during the kind of masters in public health and this that that part I would go down actually quite frequently New York into the business school um, and again for this on that VC side it's this is the most probably interesting this is a known story on my side so it's something uh, uh, that I don't share but um, one of the professors and I, I just randomly took a course how to start how to launch your startup Ran, you know it was a cross-discipline course and this is probably going to tie it together a little bit more during that time at Columbia on their, you know, public health school. And this cross course had people from engineering, from their law school, from their medical school, from their business school, obviously. And the, um, you know, the professor there who was is now over at um, Contour Venture Partners, but was a kind of early NYC seed investor. Uh, Owen, his first name is, is he was, he was basically an adjunct teaching the course and that's when we went in and I was like, well, let me just, you know, the first start of that course was pick a, any random uh, capability product feature you think is interesting and then try to think about starting a company. And so it kind of chose um, what eventually turned in actually to that medical device startup company, which we had called Heuristics Health, which was like, oh, let me create some like IoT-esque, you know, wireless device. And I thought, you know, blood pressure systems, a lot of the healthcare side from that background and knowing the engineering background, very clunky, bigger devices that like, not, I'm not talking about ones you would just put on your cuff and uh, basically have more of a, from pressure, you know, blow it up and then listen to it. These were ones that they want to automate to have like multiple cuffs on you. And I thought, oh, this is ripe for some, you know, big, big machine, like almost a fridge with multiple, you know, uh, massive uh, tubes out of it that you put onto four sides, you know, your both arms, both legs. And I was looking at that always in a different capacity in engineering thinking, oh, this is ripe for, you know, we have smaller batteries, we can use metric or auditory. So pressure and sound capabilities of determining blood pressure. And so I was like, oh, we can shrink it, we can make it uh, wireless, we can create a battery on there that would have a longer life cycle. And then you could put it on the extremities easier. And if you're moving patients, 
from an accident into surgery, you might want to be checking bilaterally because obviously you have a big, if you have a blockage and you, your blood pressure is way off on one uh, arm than the other, it's going to be an issue. And got that idea and said, ah, oh, maybe I can make it into a company. And through that kind of four month, you know, just one course, got to know that individual. And then I would say between that and 2015, 2017, so almost a two year period, he was always like, hey, if you ever have a company idea, you know, I'm the first person you should call. <laughs> so that was the first person I called once uh, we were like, I kind of got a a bold idea, which he, he appreciated the convergence between this medical device and saying, oh, now you're going to solve a big cybersecurity challenge and looking at our, our founding team and saying, yeah, you know, you know, you're not ones that have like maybe five, 10, 15 years of experience kind of doing this, but it seems like you're identifying a true, a true problem and it hasn't been kind of adequately solved um, and built upon, especially back then and gave it a shot. And, uh, you know, well, Katie, probably from that, when you give it one good shot and have one conversation and you're bold enough and kind of crazy enough to think, yeah, we can do it. Like three, three folks, like we're thinking we can solve anything almost. I think our first pitch, we literally said, if you just give us our, our CTO was like, I can solve and build this whole thing in six months. <laughs> I think almost they, the VCs left the room, like, wow, that's a bold, that's a bold claim for, you know, thinking you, you know, from a lot of these bigger network security companies. Um, but that type of vision that he had was just an interesting one. And I mean, he pretty much did it. Uh, maybe it took nine months. Um, but uh, that was our kind of initial prototype and everything going through without, again, any kind of context of having formed the company on this side before. And then the other founder was from, uh, from finance um, in investment banking. So it's like, that's a, that's an interesting cohort. Uh, to put together. Yeah, well, always a good person to have on your team, certainly. No, I love that story. That's amazing. Yeah, and that kind of helped me piece together. Like, how did you go from here to here? And um, and I love that you even you took a class. There was a class that was offered. How to do a startup? I mean, that's amazing to me. That's even available now uh, in the curriculum in our schools. So that's one thing I did want to hit on, if it's of interest. Mm -hmm. I, don't, I mean, I think and. You know, I think that VC side, if I, even some of the folks that we've, you know, brought into our team that maybe are more on the software engineering side and their kind of vision is like, I don't know how you start something. Hey, I have great, everyone has great ideas and think they can apply it. I think there's this sense of, it seems out there and hard to reach, hard to get in front of. Um, and I think breaking down that barrier more of, if you're just persistent enough and, you know, uh, you, you can, you can get in there from if you're going to go the VC route. Uh, you know, there's a whole that's probably a whole conversation uh, separate of this to to think about the that market and how it's how it's developed. But I think there's something to say about kind of uh, persistence and kind of broad ambition. And then you know you, you hopefully have someone that believes in that too, with a little proof in the pudding. But you know, honestly, back when you're thinking about it from a powerful and African idea, it, it is something more of the ambition of I think the dedication of the team. So uh, I think there is something, you know, some of these folks that they look on from the VC side and say, do you think this team can do it? I think if you're, you're ambitious enough and driven there, there's some effect to, uh, to want to let that sprout and see what happens. Well, and agreed. And, and also, I think you mentioned earlier when someone asked your hobby, I think that 
for a, a lot of founders when they're pursuing um, that route, you know, this does have to be your passion and your hobby for a little while. And, and that's okay. And that's wonderful. And it's, it's admirable from my perspective. And so thank you for, for sharing all that added color uh, when I drilled into why, did, you know, how did you get from Bethlehem, Pennsylvania? But I just love the fact, I mean, it's, it's a cool name of a town. Bethlehem, Pennsylvania in Freedom High School. I think that's amazing. It's, there's like a whole little like rom-com that could happen between those two high schools, you know, or something. I love it. Anyway. Oh gosh, um, Katie, you have me just in stitches here. I, you gotta go see, I, I, Kate, I don't know where you, you live, but you're gonna have to go see Bethlehem now. And you should well, go during okay. uh, so I live should, in a town that has, a holiday time. Yeah, no, I live in a town that also has similar, um, naming stuff uh, where I live now. I guess I don't really want to say it here, but that's why I was I was tickled by it uh, because we have things that are very themed around our the town I grew up in and, uh, or, and I live in now. So anyway, with that, thank you for diving, uh, you know, through that with me. But then also, I think the, really the the um, the VC piece and the, and the class you took and then the the way you were collaborating with people who were addressing a need in the market. It's really interesting to me. Um, so yeah, thank you for that. And um, with that though, I wanna pass it over to um, Lisa Beth. Um, I know she has a question that she's waiting to ask as well. So thank you. Yeah, well, thanks for all of the um, updates so far. I'm gonna do a quick room reset here, everyone, because we are already half an hour into our discussion with him. Uh, but this is the fireside chat. If you like what you're hearing, you should click on the little green building at the top of your screen and uh, join the club. Start um, finding out when we are doing our events. They happen to be every Wednesday at about this time. Um, so you can put it on your calendar as a, a save the date for your weekly um, uh, inspiration and discussion and networking. Um, so let me ask the question, um, it, being an entrepreneur myself, one of the questions I was asked recently was, what did you learn during the early phases of your entrepreneurship journey that you didn't expect or where you had to make significant changes to what you were planning to do? It's always a... Uh... Many things I feel like I can hit on that. I mean, I think the most crucial for myself was probably when we went from three founders and hiring. I they always say this, even if you go from five five folks on the team to ten to twenty to thirty, and as it gets bigger, it's different types of challenges. Is you know almost having multiple hats to realize I have to almost be like uh, on the HR side on the people side on dealing with different types of personalities where there's a lot of, especially the first group that we hired were all kind of engineers and more technical folks. And I didn't realize just like, it's kind of back to my origin story on making, getting smarter people and making sure that competing, you know, smart folks and that can bring something don't, you know, sink the ship from being too competitive and, and not want to do a certain way. And even with a leader on the technical side, everyone has a different way of thinking. And I think that was the most challenging in the first year when we started bringing on new people and still had a, a mission goal of saying, hey, we have to be able to kind of produce something here in the end in a, in not in a full commercial side, but from a production side and, you know, certainly on the healthcare market, um, different than maybe if it was you know, different, certainly different than B2C. 
business to consumer side and, and B2B that might be you're applying to the smaller medium sized companies and the little wiggle room, they definitely don't want to bring a, a product like this and at the height of it and have something go wrong in any capacity. And I think that's, you know, it's a quick way of ending the opportunity. So I think that was that was the biggest challenge from, you know, myself where you, you think you have yourself and a whole a whole new emerging team that also those individuals have family and kids and a whole different array of backgrounds to like almost feel like this is a family in the beginning. I know it's hard to say that when you're when companies grow and they're 100, 200, 500, 1,000 people and it can just seem more like a corporation. But I think that was the the biggest fun part in the first year to two, but also the biggest challenge because I did not expect that, you know, you'd be taking different late night calls and dealing with different kind of personality things and trying to mend all that. I didn't think that wasn't the, necessarily the, the job description um, of coming in. And so probably other founders and folks that have founded multiple companies, I think as I looked to talk with some of those mentors and stuff, they said, oh yeah, you, no one gave you that forewarning. That's always the, that's always the uh, untold kind of fun and challenging piece in the beginning is just people and, and dealing with different types of personalities that, to make something happen from, from truly nothing in the beginning. And looking back on it, certainly for new founders that are going to start it, I think there's some lessons learned on just be open and enjoy that process. Don't be too stressed about, uh, you know, little things. I, I think sometimes that can cause extra, extra late nights. Yes, I, I, I couldn't agree more. Um, and then the other question I had for you is, what motivates you as a, a, a founder? Like what keeps you going when things get difficult? I like, I mean, it's always, I think in the, certainly in the beginning before we kind of roll out commercially and it was more in the product building and that was really a two year, two year period. I think the motivation was to prove we could do it, right? To prove that you set out on this mission, you had an idea on paper, and you put it into action. And for us, you know, it's a it's a technically challenging type product. There's, you know, you have to, and I didn't get into this a little bit, but it's a kind of network security product. So you have something on the network and you're deploying basically a physical or virtual server and there's software proprietary that you have to build out to process all this network traffic. Then you have a cloud backend to basically view the dashboard and the process and the analytics there. And you got to keep this whole system flowing and it's not something, um, it's not just not the downplay obviously on the application side or app, but there's a lot of points of failure. Um, and, you know, on big network security companies have massive teams, lots of engineers, lots of support behind the scenes. And even then it can be very challenging. So I think, you know, the motivation was to prove that we could do it, especially with the background that maybe some looked at and said, can this team really pull it off? You know, they don't, it's not like they founded multiple teams or have, multiple years of experience at larger security or IT companies. And so I think that was 100% the motivating factor in the first two, two and a half years of the business. And then, you know, once we started actually going out into the market really in 2020, I think then the, the motivation to stay there was, hey, we're actually solving a very important thing here. We feel at the end of the day, there's a, there's like a safety and patient safety. And, you know, we're, it's not just a thing that's protecting maybe on, I'm not to say downplay any of this, but on the financial side or such, there's really a tangible piece that you could feel. And even the whole team uh, now that we have in such feels the same way. There's like a very mission driven there. And I think that scale of trying to say, can we 
can we go from in the US and maybe more regional to where we were in New York and the Northeast uh, to a global side? Probably is still that motivating factor that you know someone went to Freedom High School and <laughs> in there uh, is able to do something to kind of have a kind of more worldwide impact. I mean, that's just, you can't beat the level, at least for myself, kind of the, the fun motivating factor of, of wanting to do that. Um, and that kind of keeps it, that keeps it fun every day. You know, waking up every day and, and feeling that, I think um, even with all the the normal heartaches and headaches and other things to deal with, I think there's there's a factor of coming and, and knowing there's gonna be a kind of new challenge to face. Um, and even I'll just note, you know, time zone differences. So you're on calls and folks in Australia and to Thailand and different countries, and you're thinking, hey, this is really a global problem um, that, has, that has scale and you kind of saw where that was, you know, four or five years ago. That's terrific. Um, so I'm going to turn it back over to Tomas. Great conversation so far. Thanks, uh, thanks, Timur, for for sort of opening up and, and sharing a lot. And I can tell you, uh, when I, I remember meeting you uh, several years ago, and I had that thought, man, can these guys really pull it off? Uh, and 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 you have been. So it's uh, kudos to you and to your team. Uh, I, I and, thought and, you were the. I thought you were always the attractor there, Tomas. You were like, hey, hey I want to bet against. <laughs> no, I'm just... <laughs> no, de definitely not betting against uh, against you guys for for several reasons. Uh, but uh, no, I I think you guys are definitely doing good things. Uh, I I remember um, when we first chatted. I you know it was it was one of those spaces where it probably doesn't get a lot of the attention, right? And when you think about um, startups, you know, a lot of startups that, I, that I've that i come across sometimes are focused on wanting to, to meet with and, and, and work and engage with sort of the big banks, if you will, and not, nothing against that, right? You, you can obviously uh, um, prove out your solution. And, you know, you're, you guys were focused on the the healthcare side, which I, I think is a very important aspect uh, and completely not looked after or, or not looked after and not uh, um, hugely focused on by, by some security companies. So I think what you guys are doing is very important. Uh, it's very needed. Uh, and there's obviously, um, you know, there's obviously tons of revenue potential in that space as well. So it, it's, you know, anyways, that's that's me would, outside looking would, in. Would you say, Tomas, that would your kind of view on that is most start in a different industry vertical and then we'll move into healthcare as kind of a secondary, tertiary, fourth market to go into? Because they're like, well, this could be applicable, same, you know, depending on what their application is um, yep. of what they're solving versus like purely start. And I think that's actually been the message we've been going with as we think. No, do we want to take something that's looking at critical infrastructure like healthcare and take it out to, you know, energy or utilities or manufacturing? Um, it seems like if you said, "Hey, I solved this in this complex environment in healthcare with a real tangible patient safety risk," you can probably do it there. And maybe that's reverse of your traditional route to uh, many, you know, security companies. Yeah. No. I, look, I think I think you're you're right. Right. I think I've definitely seen. And you know others can chime in as well, but we've definitely seen across the industry uh, uh, that that scenario where you start one location, you kind of build out to other industries. You guys just decided to start in the healthcare industry, and you know I've t I've told you this before. Your your applicability, and he'll he'll make his way back. The applicability of what they're um, 
what what you have in terms of services and how that can expand into different areas like you know think of manufacturing and and, and others uh, is definitely applicable and, and it'll definitely uh be an area where you guys could could thrive in right um and then the other pieces around i don't want to get into too much of a sales pitch of, of your solution but you know you can you must be capturing a lot of information right around threat intelligence and things like that so thinking about how to how to leverage that to some regard is probably uh, advantageous as well so um sorry go ahead go ahead Tim. oh no i was just gonna say yeah i mean that one we like to keep under wraps a bit but i think uh it, you know you start in one place and you you get to see a lot of other insights as you said like you know you have one mission and you think you're going to solve this and then as you're trying to solve that you say oh look at these couple other things that seem to be interesting uh let's not go full Full, full force into maybe solving that. You don't want to get off in terms of focus, but once you start building out core use, you do get to get into other things that seem to be challenging. I think that's been kind of um, exciting to do, especially in the past, you know, two years. And as you mentioned, some of that threat intel, and I don't want to go down the threat intel side where that market seemed, you know, how much is tangible and actionable and signal-based versus a little bit noisy. And I think that's been insightful to see, especially predominantly probably in healthcare, which is interesting, where you have smaller amount of people and, and resources behind it to really deal with a very big problem. And you don't want to be hit by a lot of noisy things that take up a lot of time that you, you don't, and yet might not mean to focus your attention to versus getting more of the signal of it. So that has been interesting. Yeah, no, look, absolutely, right? I mean, you're you're in the sandbox, you're playing in the sandbox, you, you know, and everything, if not everything, actually, not if not, definitely everything that we do is all data driven so anyways you have i, I think you have the right idea um so look it's uh, it's about eight forty nine p.m eastern time uh as i mentioned in the opening we're going to go to about nine thirty or so and for the most part there's a lot of regulars in the room so happy to see you all sort of join in if you do have a question for timur and you want to raise your hand uh, we'll bring you up on stage and you can ask him a question uh, if you just joined us you've missed a good conversation so far uh, but he is the CEO uh, and co-founder uh, for a company called Silera, which is an IoT. I'm going to get it probably shortchanged, but just go with me and, and Tim can smack me around. Just don't. Uh, anyways, let me not say that. Um, the uh, uh, you know it's an IoT security uh, based cybersecurity company focused on the healthcare uh, environment. Uh, and in protecting the healthcare uh, systems, so think about things like pacemakers and the likes. I can't, not that I can't wait to have one. I actually don't ever want to have one, but if and when that time does occur, I know that you guys will have my back. Um, so if you do have a question, feel free to raise your hand, and we will bring you up on stage. Uh, I will actually ask you one other question. And I'll pass it over to Hussein. Timur, what are you? What are you reading? Any anything? Anything good that you're reading? Uh, we always we usually like to ask uh, questions like, "What are you reading?" Whether it's either motivational, inspirational, uh, continue education, things like that. Uh, I have an audible audible list or audio books that I listen to. So uh, anything that I can add to my list of uh, books is always a great thing. So, reading or listening on podcast piece, I think I'm actually uh, one of maybe it's just because I some of the current events are so. Uh, you know, news and everything else to listen to can sometimes be hard hard to listen to. Is I've been getting more into uh, like history podcasts and history books, and particularly in the period, which is always interesting. Maybe 
you know, 11th century, 12th century, uh, and then a little bit leading up to like 18th century and 17th century broadly, not just on you know the America side, but internationally and in, in different areas. And um, there's some I kind of enjoyed some American history tellers that podcast piece, and you know, going uh, sometimes I get too deep into uh, you know late nights if you're up and kind of working on some task-oriented things, and then you get to just put something on, especially if you are doing a lot of work that you can't maybe get eyes on the paper to read or have that time. Listen to some of these podcasts out there, especially on the, the history buff side, I've enjoyed. And I don't know if anyone else is a big history fan on on here, but uh, that that you can go down very deep rabbit holes, let's put it that way. <laughs> and you can, it can really, uh, it can be interesting. And don't forget the Fireside Chat podcast that you can listen to every Wednesday. <laughs> um, uh, Hussein, you want to hang your hang on to your question? We'll go to the uh, the Cyber Doctor. We got the Cyber Doctor in the house. Yeah, certainly. Right. Cyber Doctor. Hey, good evening, everyone. Tomas and Tamara and Katie and everyone. How are you guys? Uh, late to the party, if you will, but uh, you know caught on to the last part of tomorrow's uh you know discussion and just a couple weeks ago i was in orlando for hims and you know just walking the showcase floor you know in terms of all things healthcare and iot it was you know obviously my security hat was going off quite a bit but uh nonetheless tomorrow curious on your thoughts i know last year the uk introduced that whole legislation about iot devices uh just curious your thoughts in practicality and you know if we ever you know you could ever envision us seeing something to that um, magnitude here stateside or in north america for that matter no that's perfect maybe i saw you at hymns i was also there uh with our our group so who knows maybe we ran across uh, each other and i think what's happening in the uk which to a bit with you know from an audit side they have certainly within the nhs a bit more grasp around their auditors that are performing specific things. And when you're mentioning IoT, what they actually put in place, and it comes into effect first as a recommendation, and then they're going to audit against by the end of the year. But this is what they call their data security privacy toolkit, DSPT uh, side, particularly for the NHS. And one of their recent inductions of kind of a claim that you have to be able to show evidence for. And this is interesting because this doesn't mean you have to have a tool or product, but they're certainly leading towards this light is you have to show uh, basically a, a list, a registry of all of your connected medical devices. And I think that starting progression for them is to say, well, you know, you might have a better means of control and management around your IT, your workstations, laptops, phones, and both endpoint based and network based solutions that are looking at addressing this. And I'm, I'm focusing on these actual endpoints and devices, less so on kind of the maybe cloud security side. And then, you know, the realization that as more digitalization connectivity and more vendors come across that are selling in, I'm not going to call it rogue devices, but uh, devices that are coming on by, you know, different clinicians and different groups that are saying, oh, let me just put this on connect network here and if it's wired wireless and we're going to test this out. And you're realizing these are built on older operating systems, not getting obviously patched or updated as frequently. And I think the UK was kind of right to put in an initial guiding step to get the individual and how they're broken up is they have NHS foundation trusts that make up folks not familiar in the UK between England, Wales and uh, Scotland and Northern Ireland, I think they call them territory boards or foundation trusts. 
you know, independent based on their city or municipality that they can account for acute care hospitals. So these individual trusts are now kind of responsible for showcasing, particularly around their DSBT requirements, a connected inventory of medical assets. Uh, and that's the start to basically go towards now kind of more of a continuous monitoring. So I think if I apply it here in the US, I think the body, particularly in healthcare, uh, that looks at a wide range of audit or capability would be joint commissions. And certainly when joint commission comes to any hospital, that's always, you know, certainly on the clinical side and clinical skill set and questioning and, and such that they do. I know they have some very light claims around some of the IT uh, pieces that they're looking to address. I think that's probably the easiest line in if, if joint commission is going to take this step on the security side to kind of bolster some level of, you know, compliance oversight to drive some of the private, you know, healthcare organizations towards some better, best security practices around that. I think that would be an interesting and and I I don't want to tee it up because I'm the one you know kind of answering here, but I'm curious since we have you know from Hussein your side what you're kind of living and breathing this is is that a mark there? Or you think there's another auditing body that would be appropriate right to the uh, Jake, uh, you know, you're right, Jake Co. And joint that's joint commission, right? That's one of the biggest ones, right? There may be a couple smaller ones that do, but uh, like you said, they're starting to look more deeper into the cybersecurity and DR and BCP type of stuff, which, you know, encompasses the entire healthcare operations. So certainly any IoT, MIOT gets covered there, but you're right on the mark there. Thank you. I am, you know, that that's at least I think the one that would have the biggest bite from a federal, you know, side that have already some oversight within HHS and then JCO or, or you know, joint commissions on it. Tomas? Yep, I'm here. Thanks, CyberDoctor. Thanks for that question. Uh, Wakeen, over to you. Thanks for joining us this evening. Yeah, thank you, Tomas. Yeah, thank you, Timur, for yeah sharing your experience. Yeah, I'm uh, super excited. Okay, so you are in the uh, certainly to the to the very hot area, right? Subsecurity and healthcare. I, I, firmly believe you are going to have a huge success in your area, okay, at this company. Uh, I'm, a, I'm a little curious here. So uh, I, I think uh, I heard a conversation between you and Thomas just now, uh, basically talk about, right? So uh, in terms of healthcare environment, we know there's a, a great need of a cybersecurity, right? Uh, enhancement and so on. Uh, so your solution, right, is going to be uh, focused on uh, healthcare environment. And uh, uh, what would be the uh, uh, highlights of your solution uh, in comparison with uh, uh, some big subsidiary uh, company, their general solution? So I uh, probably I'll, I may miss that part. Can you, can you repeat your, your, the, the highlights of your uh, security solution for this very important uh, yeah, healthcare that's the uh, environment. Yeah, thank you. No, that's a perfect question. And I think, you know, mm -hmm. we didn't get in as much to that side of the house, but I think, you know, what we are solving for, right? And this is, I guess, the view of all of these new, be it MRI, CT, infusion pumps, security cameras, printers, building management systems, HVAC systems, and then a whole gamut of other wired wireless devices that are now, you know, connected on the network. Can you go beyond just endpoint detection? No, okay, this is endpoint, this is the IP. 
what else, what, if I hover over this in my sim or from a CMDB or CMMS side, which CMMS is kind of on the clinical engineering, they have, oh, I bought these devices, I've deployed them here. The biggest kind of missing link to solve for was kind of asset management, which is without deploying any agents or kind of in a passive capability. So not being able to scan these networks uh, in terms of determining that like you might with your traditional IT systems, can I have a passive out-of-band system that can mirror all of the network traffic at either core distribution level switches? And then from that, can I, from the raw network traffic and this actual kind of almost full packet capture here, can I associate both IP to a MAC address to then the model, the vendor, the operating system, the version number, and that type of information of in real time and, and monitoring that is really a first fundamental piece in terms of like any type of cybersecurity best practice of knowing what your assets are before you even get into risk and triaging. And I think that was still a very glaring hole between the current, you know, NAC solutions, network tools, scanning tools, and again, with some fundamental operational challenges around that that wasn't being adequately addressed from the bigger technology providers, network providers, security providers in the healthcare environment. And that's what we knew, you know, from a scalability and speed, we wanted to address first. Can I truly detect and pick up these devices that have interesting, unique protocols? And how would you do this to either have to reverse the engineering protocol or potentially have different types of adaptive ways of determining on a heuristic side of what that device would be so that you can go into a new environment where you've never seen any types of, you know, especially in healthcare, where there's a lot of diversity of types of devices. Um, that was a really big driving piece and, and feature capability. And then it went to like, well, how can I get other information around risks and vulnerabilities impacting these devices, things that wouldn't even be exploited yet, but certainly would be a, a vulnerability that you might want to, you know, both associate and correlate back and inform that medical device vendor okay, we found this known you know, vulnerability in your device. Have they actually disclosed it or what their update or patch would be? And that then has a whole different realm of implications because a lot of these medical device vendors, uh, if we think about legacy and support, well, maybe they phased out that device and they don't have support to update or patch that system. And a lot of these, you know, you still see a lot of Windows XP, older Windows version, Linux, et cetera, being run. Um, end of life operating systems for sure. So triaging risk and vulnerability and then knowing kind of, again, from a knowing the devices and the devices they communicate with, very particularly, maybe you can help enforce some segmentation and zoning, you know, again, broadly speaking in this zero trust segmentation journey, but very targeted towards remediation of higher risks. And I think those three main security, know what your assets are in more detail, especially to these non-IT devices, know what the risks and vulnerabilities are impacting, and then look at addressing remediation and based on criticality, well, if this is a FDA class one, two, three device versus maybe potentially a security camera, you're going to have different levels of importance there. And I think it's really, you know, broadly speaking, an asset centric security approach is what we were going there. And that's the main driving kind of practice security. And then as we kind of got talking here around threat intel and threat detection, there's a lot more nuance there that can be assisted uh, versus some of the traditional kind of intrusion detection, intrusion prevention systems when you can't have certain inline capabilities to just quarantine or block a device that might be a medical device. Because then in essence, in essence, you're turning, you become a medical device and, and regulated by that because of the impact on the operation. So hopefully that does a little bit of a job of our main feature, knowing what the asset is, 
again, agentless kind of network approach, knowing the risks and vulnerabilities, looking at remediating it, and then layering on more of our kind of occult reactionary network detection uh, side as well with the insights that you know what the assets are. So you know a better runbook or playbook against it. Yeah, thank you so much. Yeah, that's really helpful. <laughs> so uh, actually, while you are talking, I I I thought uh, a quick question here, my scenario here. Okay, so for instance, uh, uh, there is a critical medical device, right, uh, that uh, is being used to treat a, a patient, right, and uh, at the same time, uh, there was a vulnerability identified. So the uh, solution is. Uh, uh, should we uh, simply stop the procedure uh, to ensure there's uh, subsecurity uh, was was protected, or should we wait until uh, the procedure is finished? Right? So it's uh, sometimes hard, right? So <laughs> I don't know what's what's what should be the solution actually yeah, to this scenario. Well, yeah, uh, you're you're getting into I think that the run books and playbooks on well first would be if you just determine that there is a vulnerability that's not actively being exploited against, you know, I don't think you're gonna go and, and stop a, a procedure uh, for a potential risk like that, right? So I think that's more the proactive, put that into your kind of government's risk compliance, is this a severity level of a vulnerability that we can help correlate before anything would be potentially exploited against it with that in a more proactive sense. If that's post-procedure, you're gonna go, you're gonna correlate now and trigger an alert to go to Philips or GE and say, okay, we determined this, is there, an, is, have they disclosed that vulnerability? And we can pull that, we kind of pull that information and show that if there's any actual links to a known disclosed vulnerability. I think your piece was hitting, if you actually see it being targeted. So if someone came in via phishing and got hold of a workstation, maybe that workstation is actually workstation associated with MRI device, which is a lot of the times, you know, you have workstations being sold in that, end up um, hospitals don't actually put any agents on them because they think you know they're being sold by GE or Philips and it's it looks unique but really people can go up and you know browse the web and look at Facebook and then potentially get hit by any you know drive by malware or any attempts there and I think that in that scenario which is very particular to then how you would respond well you might know the communication of the MRI to the workstations and then over via DICOM the servers that it would correlate with. And I think there you can have an enforcement that if you, you know, if that device all of a sudden that workstation starts talking to other types of devices, that would alert to basically take a more directed response with your security team to go and not quarantine the device fully off the network, which might be a traditional sense if it was a, you know, some IT device and you, you didn't mind the end user have, not having access for some time, even if it was a false positive, do any forensics, that would allow you to have in rapid time, and this is an interesting part, would you have a clinical engineering biomed staff member, basically once a procedure was completed, if it was ongoing, basically take that device offline for that period. And you see this impacted where many organizations, if they got hit on their IT sides, they'll start shutting down potentially clinical services if they think other devices were impacted. And yeah, I think that can be avoided if you have kind of a more monitoring capability to really see what's going on within the network of communication. And I think this type of network-based approach is looking to solve that. And I know we're diving into it a little bit, but it was a very fair question. I think not something that's been fully solved from a people and process side, right? This is going towards that as you have the technology there. Now you have to have the right run book and playbook around response and different severity of responses. 
Yeah, thank you so much. Thank you so much. Yeah. Uh, if I can, can I ask uh, one final question? Yeah, Thomas. I'm gonna charge you for that one. Wait. <laughs> go ahead. Okay. Go ahead. No, look. Go ahead. Go ahead. Thank you so much. Yeah. So. Uh, so my question is uh, from uh, my student, right? So uh, you are the CEO, right, of company, and I I know that you are looking for talents, right? Yeah, to to develop your uh, solution or products, right, for your company. And what type of people are you looking? I looking for actually. Yeah, that's something I can yeah bring the message you, back to my you, class. <laughs> yes. You should. We should connect offline about it because I think we're actively and we've been hiring out here, especially on the. I'll call it on the on the software engineering side, so back end, front end, DevOps engineers, particularly with a security focus or mindset in terms of product build, and then some lower level programming skills on what we're doing at the you know actual, actual the server and the, uh, the the software we're putting on our network servers to be able to process at line rate this information. So wide software engineering roles available, um, and our particular focus area is is pretty broad. I mean, especially off of, you know, recent graduates or masters or undergrad graduate. I mean, um, we can go from uh, some experience in the field, which is good, or building up from a more junior uh, role to to be there. So I'm happy to connect off this. And if you have interesting uh, students, um, to you know, to talk to them with our team. That's good. I'm going to yeah connect yeah connect with you. And, uh... Have a conversation with you later. Thank you. Thanks, Wakini. Thanks for popping up on stage and asking your question. And uh, look, if you do end up uh, placing one of your students there, I'd love to hear that because uh, it'd be great to know that uh, that this conversation has served a good purpose, which is uh, finding and cultivating and curating good talent into uh, great organizations. Uh, Hussein, I know you had a follow-up question. If not, I don't know if Katie is applauding or she has a follow-up question. I have question one well, I can go after Hussein. I, okay. I knew Katie has it. I knew Katie had one. Of course she does. Go ahead. Uh, Hussein, if you want to forgo and let Katie. Uh, yeah, yeah. Go ahead. Thank you, Katie. Go ahead, please. Oh, thank you. Um, so listen, I think, uh, thank you for letting me have this question, guys. Um, noticing that uh, you just expanded into Spain. Uh, so congratulations on that. Um, and then kind of just internationally, I wanted to ask you about your experience as a CEO of a company where you're going in um, from both a cybersecurity and a healthcare perspective into the European market. Just curious about what that experience has been like for you and any insight you would have around you know the challenges um, in expanding into uh, the European market from both a cybersecurity and a healthcare perspective. Oh, that's I, I I'm not going to have all the answers because that's <laughs> something we're currently doing right now. Between you know obviously in the UK has been our strongest suit of that, but you know Nordic countries into uh, mainland kind of Europe and and thinking through how I would say the biggest insight is you don't want to go necessarily on this direct in that model. It's got to really be a, a channel-driven strategy with either, you know, system integrators or resellers or VARs that know the clients. And then if I think just cybersecurity and IT, I would have to narrow that list to there's then even a smaller number of companies that deal within healthcare IT. Uh, and those are the ones where we've gotten pool and how we've kind of learned this is we might have some CISOs on you know, for instance, a public Spanish hospital that says, oh, I'm going to reach out. I'm curious about what you're doing. You know, we're working through 
on trying to solve this challenge. And then we're actually leveraging them to direct us to the right type of um, partners that they work with. And it could be the bigger companies everyone's familiar with. Um, but normally we've seen at their level, there's some very tactical regional ones uh, that they work with. You know, in Spain, certainly, if we think about Italy as well, Germany as a as a bigger one that has a, a lot of, I would say they're probably the biggest target rich in terms of healthcare organizations and, and focus on the IT and technology. And but we've kind of had this approach that it's been interesting to go to countries like Spain and, and Italy, and then even into Greece and others that everyone has a different perspective of how to, if this is a problem they view now, or they have, particularly in healthcare, um, or they foresee this in the next six to 12 months as they have more connectivity within their network. And I think a lot of that insight has been driven by the local partners that deal with them day in, day out, either as their pro-serve companies that they're doing, you know, and maybe sock management, maybe they're doing some level of light pro-service that, you know, even involves around kind of implementation, deployment of technologies and some type of light touch and even not into the, you know, full outsource uh, piece. And so that's been our progression. And when we started that, we did the same thing. One, one, you know, one NHS trust that brought us in initially to kind of uh, trial out our, our system about 12 months ago. And then, you know, we built up and, and gone to, you know, over a dozen so individual trusts in just England alone and, and working that through in the past 12 months, which is quick for a U.S. company at our size to be able to move across the pond there and, and work. And I think it, it, it hits the question we all started from, which is it's addressing a, a tangible challenge. It's addressing a tangible compliance and audit challenge too. And thus they know they want to, they want to look to solve it. and that's been our that's been how kind of we've grown almost organic but then kind of the inorganic growth would be once you work with the right partner all of a sudden they say hey this this problem i see in spain you know in sweden and denmark and norway they're having similar issues then they want to bring you there so that's been kind of our international growth directory and then i would say the most interesting one has been maybe engaging into a place like thailand which would just for a 30 person company seems very interesting to want to even engage and work there. And I just think that speaks to uh, the global piece of, of this within healthcare providers. Doesn't matter where they are, you know, who they treat, they know this is a concern, uh, broadly speaking around these, some of these problem areas we just talked about in terms of what we can look to address. Yeah, no, I appreciate that. Yeah, and I, I mean, even around regulation too, um, is that something that you've had to bring in specialists or how do you, when you're going going into a market like this, how do you um, become the, the expert that you need to be to be able to be in compliance with the um, regions that you're going into? Yeah. And that, the perfect always answer on that is outside of the technical piece, you got to refine the right that's partner that, that part knows the right types of certifications. That's what you're getting. Yeah. Uh, okay. The, con the contracts, contracting, certain types of audits that were going to have to be done for the company to say, okay, you need this type of cyber essentials certification done. You need it within this time frame. You know, if you go even different countries, different regulations on even if you're hosting something in the cloud, right? And they might require, since this is not just full on-prem, different regulatory um, drivers around in-country hosting, how's that gonna be done if you have hosts in the US interacting, even if it's in-country on the cloud, a lot of that insight has been driven by the partners that day in day out have dealt with that at their you know associated clients and, and counterparts and colleagues that they work with and that can get you from wow this seems like a big daunting challenge to go into this new market um versus kind of having a 
a line of sight that they they've done this before and you can kind of leverage that to expand it's, but they're only going to do that if you have the right type of approach right you're solving something that seems tangible enough to be brought in um, to give you that oversight oh yeah so insightful yeah thank you for that um yeah with that uh hussein i'll pass it over to you thank you katie so it's in where you hit it on the head because those are mostly nationalized health systems, right? The government-run entities, as opposed to the United States, where we kind of operate on our own, have procurement powers, whereas there you have to get on the preferred vendor list and all that stuff before you can actually make a sale to the uh, to the entities, right? But my question is around how do you solve the linguistic barriers that may exist when you're dealing with uh, countries where you know English is not predominantly the uh, lingo franca. Oh, that's so I've been surprised on some and even into you know I'll use Spain as a good analysis here that a lot of their security teams still use products in English um and mainly from the fact that you know maybe that's from previous you know, call it leverage of some companies saying, oh, we're not going to, you know, translate over necessarily, and you're going to have to be adaptable to, to leverage this capability or product in English. Now, increasingly, we're seeing this, you know, um, when we're looking to expand here, that there is a push to say, well, can we get this, you know, translated fully? And when they dangle the big enough kind of contract value to say, you know, we're, we want to do it, but we want you to basically for our, our staff that not necessarily are all going to be using technical capabilities in English, we need this done. Well, then it's a back end. It's a back end and really a front end issue on the actual product itself to just have translation done. And I'm not saying that's a, a simple task, but it's it's certainly a lot simpler than, you know, building out the technology itself uh, to be able to, to translate all of the words and in correct grammatical sense of what they're using too. And then linking that to, you know, one of the big actually, actually so you're hitting a perfect point, which is you might have regulatory bodies like the FDA here, and I'll use UK, for instance, has the NHRA equivalent. And then even where you think, oh, there's a medical device that class three, well, there they have a whole different classification uh, nomenclature. So translating that, actually, you're hitting a good point, which is not just you know, English or language specific, but to the regulatory standards they want is actually a really good driver. And when you make it almost custom in that sense, build there, you're going to get greater adoption because other companies might come through and say, oh, this is the way we do it. We're not going to make the investment necessarily to, to go specific, especially in healthcare, especially if you're going to have a security company that's not selling into healthcare, where really that's a predominant build out. They lose a lot of that nuance. And I think that's been interesting to see for, for us. If you do that, if, you, if you're able to solve that nuance, and it might not even seem like big technical issues, you're going to, you're going to make a very happy uh, client. Yeah, you made a good point because that's how, that's where all the compliance come in. You know, half of it is compliance, half of it is actually making sure that you're secure. But have you made any forays into the ME market yet or into the other area, other continents? Uh, you're, you're almost, you got, you know, my thoughts almost on that is more recently uh, into ME. And um, I think the next one that we're kind of targeting broadly as a continent piece is also in Africa. And, We've seen some partners of ours reach out to want to go into specific, you know, regions and countries as well. And I think just for us, you know, as we're scaling from, you know, less than a year ago at half our size and now this size and, and 
you know, taking on bigger responsibility and challenges, which is fun to think we, we scale this at the size we are. I think we're going to be looking to do that. And that's really got to find the right individuals and partner and, and team members to also build out in country and region to handle that. But again, it's a it's the same global problem that any hospital network that has this increasing you know, burden that they're buying in the same new vendor products, they're supporting older legacy equipment that's on the network. It's going to be a it's not it's certainly not going to be something that goes away quickly compared to other industries where there's there's also a capital resource constraint on well you can't just buy them you know the newest and best you know mri or ct machine at the cost that they are so you're going to have to support legacy equipment and that's only going to be increasing some of these security risk challenges as you have other types of devices you know connected there on the same parts of the network and so yeah i think expansion wise it's as really i would say it's as fast as you want to grow to make sure that, you know it doesn't blow up in the sense of uh, you're not going to be able to support it at scale and i think that's always a fun problem to, to be dealing with yeah you hit it you know it, it, it's a sky's the limit in this space as uh, more and more modernization takes place in caregiving to make it more predictive medicine you know this would this will just be growing for you and we haven't even hit the home health care right all the devices that are going at the home that might end up being more life support critical support um, that aren't just your wearable devices and that connectivity back into providers or other systems. I think that expands and opens up a whole new, a whole new, um, both good, you know, better clinical decision, quicker decision making and better treatment, but also increasingly, obviously, some type of security risk as you think through any confidentiality or integrity, availability of that data that might be relied upon. To make informed decisions that you know caregivers or or physicians or nurses are giving at the hospital site to their patients at home very true and you know the health system the health environment has totally changed longer stays have been cut down to days because people heal faster better at home than in a hospital and you know the health system is recognizing that but at the same time they need to provide the monitoring the care that that's needed to be in it also comes with security and managing that environment and just in time, you know, detection. So you're in a great place. Over to you, Tomas. Thanks. Yeah, no, that's probably a good segue too to what I wanted to ask you tomorrow about, uh, what do you think about the metaverse? Uh, thinking about how a lot of people are talking about the metaverse. What is that? Does that, does that translate into anything opportunistically for, for you and your company uh, and, and maybe dovetailing off, off of what Hussein said, right? People heal, heal faster while they're at home, but you've got that monitoring uh, sort of gap, if you will. Um, so what, what are your thoughts on that? I think the metaverse piece is, is interesting. I mean, unless you're trying to correlate that to, can that be an interactive area where you you're interacting with a, a care team and then you know maybe enough on the security side of the sense of what that might change but i think certainly maybe from interactions could there be a healthcare application of it i i'm not certain maybe i'm i'm gonna have to look into this how many are there any healthcare specific type of metaverse plays that are already looking at it as like you know come in here's the pharmacy talk to us we're like uh you know pharmacists and we can give you an actual kind of beyond the kind of more fun uh, sense of it, could there be an application there that you can leverage off of just outside of just like telehealth and virtual calling? I'm, I'm not sure. Yeah, that's, that. that's a good, that's a good, que that's a good question there. I have actually thought about what, if, 
companies are building upon that to be more like yeah, that, clinical and that's focused. what I was thinking. That's what I was thinking about. Like maybe uh, you know some sort of uh, adaption or application where you've got the sort of the telehealth components now moving into that whatever the metaverse is for however you want to define it, um, but also um, being able to leverage or opportunistically leverage capabilities with uh, being able to get better monitoring of an individual while they're at home, you know, uh, going through the process of healing, whatever that healing is, right? Healing from whatever illness or, or surgery that they've, that they've gone through. So I was just, I was just thinking, you know, that there's so there could be a play there uh, or there could not be, but just curious if you were thinking about it from your perspective. I mean, it seems like Tomas, you know, in a year from now, you might be the uh, the founder of one of the largest uh, metaverse healthcare, you know, tech enabled companies. Based on, I mean, it's, a, I highly it's got, interesting. I highly got that one. <laughs> wow, that's a mouthful. Um, I'll make I'll make sure to sell uh, you an, I'll make sure to sell you an NFT so you can have a ticket into it. How's that? Well, I was gonna say there's so many weird permutations on the NFT. Like, is that some type of? Can you make that some transactional thing that you can get certain things done with and. I'm, yeah, everybody yeah. will have a personalized uh, NFT that's like a QR code on the back of your neck or something, and somebody can scan it on the way in. Yeah, or, and then that's your all your stuff. all your you know medical records on it. I mean, then I guess that's a medical history. Actually, um, you know what? That's not hmm. you know now, now that we we're kind of saying it, it's sort of half joking, but that's probably a good application for an NFT, right? A personalized NFT that has all of your medical history that you can carry with you. Um, and you can I use see. that when you when you enter into any hospital anywhere around the world because the hospitals are not always all interconnected, right? Maybe if you get a hospital system, you you'll be able to, um, you know, I'm going to use some of the ones in in, in New York like a Montefiore or something like that, right? But they've got a, a chain of other hospitals in and around the city. You don't go into any Montefiore and they pull up your records, but you go to you know, Presbyterian, and you don't have your records because it's not part of that Montefiore system. I don't know if that's accurate or not, but I'm just using it as an example. So maybe you're, think you're, about, you're, you know, carrying that with you. I mean, if I just look up NFT health records, we're hitting on something in the past two, three months that there seems to be more, you know, news articles about can this be, it's more of a, can this be possible rather than someone has attempted to do it. So... This well, this is now the incubator for this. Uh, all. I'm the, yeah. I'm Next part side chat. We got to talk about this. This seems like an interesting thing to actually. To, hmm. I, I, I'm gonna find I, some uh, NFT specialists. The uh, the the hearing the CEO say this seems like this might be interesting. It sounds like uh, we might have to have a follow up conversation in a month or so because there'll probably be a new business idea for you. <laughs> oh. I, if I just look up again NFT health records or any search platform, I mean, the most re three days should you be turning your medical records into an NFT. Given how poorly HIPAA fails to protect patient data, could this be? So it seems like there's discussion in the realms of it. Um, not seeing any companies that are, unless they're stealth mode, that are actually attempting it. Hmm. All right. Well, if there's any companies out there that <laughs> want to explore this idea, feel free to uh, contact me. I'm happy to talk about it. Uh, Russell, I think Russell, you're in, right? You, you, I'm sure you want to talk about it as well. Yeah, let's do it. I think it's, you know, you know, so my wife's a healthcare provider, 
And the last couple of years has been able to see people telemedicine, you know, iPad or computer, et cetera. And you think about, okay, well, how far of a stretch, you know, now that we're all used to Zoom, now that we all want, like Tomas said, wherever I go, I want my provider to have access to my information. And I don't really care what hospital facility or network or app they're using. You know, what's the gap between where we're at uh, and making that happen? And if you think of metaverses, okay, something that's not in person. So if I'm not in front of my provider, maybe that's the metaverse. I, I think we even talking about what used to seem fantasy before might be closer than we think. But to think, you know, Tomas, you're hitting perfectly on this NFT space. It's still riddled with a lot of like data security problems and over also IP. Like there's some intellectual property concerns around ownership of NFTs, how they're created. So you're hitting, I imagine the next 12 to 24 months, this is going to be interesting. It's going to get there. We'll hear it here first. We'll, we'll come back to this fireside. It's going to get there with blockchain and other things. You know, it's going to secure it. You know, there's, there's a way to do it. So it just needs to be a little bit more teased out. Tomas, you hit it on the head. We'll we probably have to regroup here. Thank you. Well, you heard it here first, ladies and gentlemen. You heard it here first. It's 9.28 p.m. Eastern time. Uh, look, if you, there are a few regulars in the, in the, in the room, but uh, if there might be one or two new folks. If you're new to our fireside chat, we do this every Wednesday between 8 p.m. Eastern time to about 9.30 p.m. Eastern time. There's a little greenhouse on the top left of your screen. Right next to it says Fireside Chat. It looks like a little Monopoly house. You could click that and you could pass go and collect your, I'm just playing. You can click that and you can join our club and see who's up next week. Um, before we kind of wrap and get to uh, the final question, I do want to just remind everybody. So next week, if I can get to my calendar correctly here, I believe it's another CEO. Yep. Next week, we have the CEO from Abnormal Security, Evan Riser. Uh, comes to us from Abnormal Security. Uh, it's a security email security company. Uh, so join us back next week in the realm of I guess he's I guess it's still a startup as well. Um, so continuing the series of startups and CEOs and learning about their journey and their origin story. So join us back next week, 8 p.m. Eastern time, uh, and that is sometime in April. If I, I should have looked at the date. <laughs> um, but April. Tim, go ahead. You uh -huh. want to say something? I was going to throw a plug that I think Tomas will have this whole NFT health record piece figured out by then. So you'll hear him pitch his, uh, his idea then. <laughs> oh, man. No pressure, huh? No one pressure. Week. <laughs> so, look, I, I usually like asking uh, this question as – I'll call it the, the, the final question. But before I get there, Maduro, is any any questions that you guys have burning that you want to get off your chest and, and uh, ask uh, – Timmer, before I get to the last I just want to say thanks for being here. I learned a ton tonight, and it's been just delightful listening to your stories and, and having you share your experiences with us. Same here, no, Timmer. You. you know, we, uh, we, we talk sometimes, but it's always, you know, inspirational talking to you and uh, chatting up. Thank you for coming on tonight. Right. Thanks. So, so Timur, look, I, I know, I know you're not that old like we are, like Hussein and us and I are. But you know, when you think about your journey so far, and you know where you started to where you are now, and everything in between, and and all the sort of points around Pennsylvania that Katie was touching upon, which was rather interesting. 
Um, it doesn't make me want to go there, by the way, but I just find it interesting. Freedom High School. Freedom. Uh, what would be that one piece of advice that you've received in your journey or during your journey that you would give to the younger Timmer? What would it be and why? Well, that's a good question. And I, I think I've been thinking about this the past couple of weeks as like the, uh, you know, the pressure gets higher as, you know, it becomes more successful and growth and all this is I think sometimes you're, you're too focused on the end result to kind of enjoy the process. And even if the process is a, is a struggle and you know, a little bit cliche here on it, but I think enjoying when it was, you know, small little things that seemed like back then you were stressed about just enjoying more of the process and the build, you know, there's always going to be the next challenge and the next thing to do. I think I would look back and say time goes pretty quick, even though, again, as you said, a little, maybe on the younger side of the journey here on the career, but um, you can't go back. And I think that's what I would look to myself or anyone starting um, at any age. It doesn't matter on a company like this is enjoy that, that process of all the struggles and kind of look through it as a, as kind of a fun, as a f fun learning experience. There's a lot of risk to it, but I think I would look back and say that to myself or, or give that advice to anyone going down this path. It's good advice. Definitely good advice. Look, it's been a, it's been a pleasure. You know, you and I met many years, a few years ago, actually, I was going to say many years ago. It hasn't been that long, but at least I don't think it has. Maybe it has. But, um, you know, it's great to see you succeeding and, and your company uh, sort of succeeding and growing. Uh, you're in a great space, uh, doing po very positive things in a, during a much needed time uh, with, with healthcare. So I wish you continued success, uh, which I know you will continue to, to do so, especially as you expand into those different uh, parts of the world. So that's exciting times um, for you and, 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 your, and your guides. Uh, so send, send my regards to the team. Uh, everybody, thank you all for uh, taking the time out of your busy schedule to join us this evening. Uh, we look forward to catching up with you next week. Uh, don't be late. See you all. Cheers, Timur. Thanks again. Thanks. Cheers. Bye, everybody. Bye, everybody. Bye, everybody. Have a good evening. Good night. Take care. Have a great night. Bye.